Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Carmelite Conversations. It's great to have you back again this week. This week, as promised, we're going to spend the hour talking about Teresa of Avila. Teresa is the other mother for us in Carmel. Uh, Of course, everybody knows Teresa uh, of Calcutta, uh, but we also refer to Teresa of Avila as our mother because she's the mother of the reform of the Discalced Carmelite Order and a very important figure not only to us in Carmel, uh, but to the whole church and and all of uh, Christianity, for that matter. She's a great teacher uh, of prayer, and she's a great example of overcoming difficulties and struggles in our daily life. Let me begin by, uh, again, introducing uh, Frances Harry, who is with me in the studio. Frances, how are you this evening? Oh, I forgot to turn my mic on. I'm sorry. (laughs) It's great to be back. Thank you. (laughs) Well, thank you. Uh, We had a a wonderful conversation just before we began, Francis and I, and we thought how appropriate it was that we'd be speaking about Teresa of Avila this evening for a couple of reasons, uh, not the least of which were the tumultuous times that uh, Teresa uh, was living through in Spain uh, when she began the reform of the Carmelite order, how much uh, chaos there was in the world around her, how much uh, difficulty there was, not only in her personal life, but uh, in the Carmelite order at that time, Francis. And we talk about uh, the significance of the model that she represents to each of us in how in these most difficult times, the uh, peace and, and the uh, strength that we can find in a deep prayer life becomes even more important. Uh, and we're going to start this evening, of course, with prayer, and we're going to pray to our Mother Teresa. And then I've asked Frances, if she would, to uh, spend a moment in reflection and prayer with all of us, and I invite uh, each of our listeners to, to join us as well as we pray for the nation of Japan this evening. Uh, we've witnessed the terrible tragedy of the events of uh, three days ago, and most especially uh, what's continuing to happen there. So we want to lift that nation up and ask that God's blessing and grace and mercy be showered upon them. But let's begin with a prayer from uh, Teresa of Avila. Francis, would you read us that prayer? Okay. This is a prayer for a hectic, busy life, because we figure um, a lot of our listeners can identify with this. And these are Teresa's own words, her own prayer. How is it, God, that you have given me this hectic, busy life when I have so little time to enjoy your presence? Throughout the day, people are waiting to speak with me, and even at meals I have to continue talking to people about their needs and problems. During sleep itself, I'm still thinking and dreaming about the multitude of concerns that surround me. I do all this not for my own sake, but for yours. To me, my present pattern of life is a torment. I only hope that for you it is truly a sacrifice of love. I know that you are constantly beside me, yet I am usually so busy that I ignore you. If you want me to remain so busy, please force me to think about and love you, even in the midst of such hectic activity. If you do not want me to be so busy, please release me from it, showing others how they can take over my responsibilities. Thank you, Francis. The importance of the message that Teresa has to share with us, again, consistent, uh, I think, throughout the history of the uh, Carmelite Order and 
throughout the history of uh, uh, each of our individual uh, experiences with prayer and with busy lives, no matter how tumultuous, no matter how chaotic, no matter how destabilized we might feel at times in our daily life and in the trials of our daily life, Teresa is always asking us to hearken back to that silence, to that intimacy, to that dialogue, to that conversation with Jesus Christ. And we're going to talk later in the program and give you a little insight on Teresa's teaching on prayer. It runs a broad spectrum. She tried to present to us so many images and models and um, uh, specifics on how to enter into prayer, how to deepen our relationship with Jesus Christ, how to draw strength from that deep, deep well uh, of grace and mercy. And that's why she's such a great teacher of prayer for both the Carmelites and for the Catholic Church. But before we do that, again, I'd like to just ask each of our listeners to join us in a moment of prayer for the nation of Japan, uh, that the Lord's mercy would be showered upon them as they continue to struggle in what no doubt will be uh, many months, perhaps years, of, uh, of struggle in trying to get themselves uh, back uh, to uh, some level of stability after the tragedy of, uh, of Friday. Uh, Francis, can you lead us in that prayer, please? Yes, and I just want to add here that Teresa of Avila, who is also known as Teresa of Jesus, that was her uh, religious name, she prayed the news, too. So I'm sure that um, she's now with us in a very special way. So let's start in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. O most holy Trinity, in your name we are praying, and we beg for your grace and mercy upon the nation, the people of Japan, and all those that are affected by all the disaster that has been occurring over these last couple of days. We ask you, Lord, to please, open their hearts and give them the grace to respond favorably to your call that they may call upon you and know you and know that you are a loving Father that will come to their aid and that all these things that are happening, though we do not um, blame you, Lord, we know that uh, things happen in nature and we ask you, Lord, to make good come of all of this as we know that you do. And, Lord, please give us the grace to see this to see your hand upon the people and on the nation and to bring good and to open the hearts of all the people in the rest of the world to come to their aid. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. amen. Let me also invite uh, any of the members of our audience who would like to ask a question or maybe participate in the conversation. And let me also say, if you would like to ask a question but you're not comfortable uh, joining us on the radio, feel free to uh, go ahead and make a call and just ask the studio to uh, send the question that you might have to us, and we'll be happy to respond to it uh, on the radio without necessarily having to have you join the conversation. If you would like to do that, the number is 1-866-333-6279. And I just want to remind everybody, you're listening to Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria. Well, let's get in a little bit, to Francis, to the history and the life of uh, St. Teresa of Avila, St. Teresa of Jesus. St. Teresa of Jesus, of course, was a Spanish nun, a mystic, a reformer, a mother of an order, a doctor of the Church, and perhaps most importantly, a master in the practice of prayer. I want to talk a little bit about both this idea of the master of the practice of prayer and also the fact that she's a doctor of the Church. 
Uh, there are only 33 doctors at the church, and, and only three of them are women. <laughs> Yay for those three! It's like a trinity. <laughs> yes, those three women, St. Teresa of Avila, St. Catherine of Siena, and another Discalced Carmelite nun, St. Therese, That's the little flower. Right. So our Carmelites are well represented among the doctors, and most especially among the women doctors of the church. Uh, and our Holy Father, Pope Benedict XVI, has acknowledged that in a recent uh, uh, audience. In fact, he's doing a catechesis each week now on the doctors of the church. Mm-hmm. And so far, he's done uh, two of the Carmelites that we've spoken about. He began those audiences by talking about Teresa. And we, of course, in Carmel, were very proud of the fact that uh, he chose to begin that catechesis uh, of the doctors of the church with our own Mother Teresa. And so uh, I'm going to ask you, Francis, if you can share a little bit, what, what was the Holy Father's message? What is it that he wanted specifically to point to uh, in the life of Teresa? Well, first of all, he he introduces her as a saint who represents one of the highest examples of Christian spirituality of all time, and that is amazing. And then he talks about in her childhood how she um, discovered the truth in two fundamental ways. Uh, one was the fact that all that belongs to this world passes. And, on the other hand, the second one is that God is forever, ever, ever. And so these themes are very important um, in her life, and, you know, she just builds upon those themes. And then he talks about um, some of her struggles and her big point of conversion, uh, which happened when she was at, like, 39, so Mm -hmm. kind of a midlife crisis. So I have to say that she's a great saint for those of us who are hitting a midlife crisis. Now, how did she deal with this? And then, of course, um, you know, he points out about her recognizing the presence of God within and the centrality of Christ as being the way, the truth, and the life. So it's a very Christocentric spirituality that Christ will show us the way, and as he's a companion. He's a friend. This idea of, of God, the Father, and the Son and the Holy Spirit being companions and having um, prayer being an intimate conversation. Uh, these are all very Theresian uh, ideas. And so uh, when she writes her uh, four of her famous works, I'll let you name those four. You remember the four. Uh, you're putting me on the spot here. <laughs> Quiz. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, uh, Audience can help them out if they want. Well, of course, it's uh, The Way of Perfection, which I'll put in the plug, and I think you gave me this uh, chance. We'll be doing that over the course of the next two weeks. We're going to go through the way of perfection, and so we'll talk specifically about uh, the counsel that uh, uh, Teresa was giving to the nuns in her convent who had asked her specifically to give them that guidance. Um, of course, the interior castles, which we will follow up with after we've done the way of perfection. We're going to spend another three weeks, we think, if we're able to get through the depth of the interior castles in three weeks. We'll do that following uh, the way of perfection, where we'll spend a couple of weeks. Of course, the foundations, which talk about her uh, significant work, and we're talking a little bit about that this evening, the, the uh, considerable amount of work that Teresa did in founding a number of uh, convents. She was a very busy woman, a very uh, active uh, woman for uh, someone who joined uh, essentially a, uh, a, a very uh, contemplative order. She, yeah. she is a great model to us in, in reaching out. And then, of course, I would add her life. Her yes, life the book of her life, right. right. And we might. How'd I do? You did great. You passed. <laughs> you passed. And the Pope did mention those works, and he talks about 
um, how this love for one another is an essential element of community and social life, and humility as the love of truth. We could go on and on about that. Humility as the love of truth. And quite particular to Teresa, I think, is determination. She was known to have this phrase, determined determination, as the fruit of her Christian uh, boldness. And St. Therese, the little flower, picks up on Teresa's boldness, and it is so beautiful. And then, of course, this thirst for God, uh, the thirst for the living water, and then the human virtues of affability, veracity, modesty, courtesy, and joy. She was the one that said something about, uh, deliver me from all those fallen, somber saints. Right. You know, right. oh, there was only joy. So No the, sad saints in my convent. Exactly. Uh, that's a paraphrase, Which but makes, essentially that's what she was saying. Exactly. Reminds me of that um, passage that goes something like, uh, the joy of the Lord is my strength. And I really like that. Yeah. I don't know, Francis, to be honest with you, if you're, uh, for our listening audience, if you're looking for a model, if you're looking for uh, a teacher, a guide, a counselor on how to begin to advance or deepen what may already be a very mature prayer life, and if you haven't been exposed to Teresa of Avila, Teresa of Jesus, I don't know that we could find a better uh, advocate uh, for our listeners than to turn to Teresa. And, and I would, personally, I would recommend, as we are going to next week, Starting with The Way of Perfection, I think, as a first book to read. I know when I began to uh, introduce myself to Teresa, and this is before I'd even come to Carmel, uh, the first book I read was The Way of Perfection. What I found most significant about it was how approachable it was, how uh, uh, sort of for the common man she wrote. And, and mm-hmm. she even expresses very uh, openly her own confusion, her own trials, her own struggles as she works through trying to deepen her prayer life, and I found it very appealing, because uh, so often you read texts that uh, are from authors who seem to have a very good uh, idea of exactly what they're trying to achieve and exactly how to go about doing it. Uh, Teresa was perhaps more honest uh, in, in sharing with us her own confusion, her own trials, her own struggles, and she was very forthright uh, about the experience that you've touched on, and we're going to explore a little deeper, how she spent 18 years really uh, desiring to pray, living, uh, by the way, a contemplative life, desiring to pray but not really praying. She talks about that well, in a way. I think she was praying. Um, I just think that she was struggling between friendship with God and friendship with people. And because of the friendship with people, that was bringing her down and out of the, the deeper prayer. And, um, you know, she wasn't having the opportunity to pray like her heart desired. Um, and then she was humbled and thinking that, you know, here she is, a woman. And, of course, the culture of her time, Mark, was that, you know, this was an elite form of prayer, this mental prayer. And this was uh, for those who are schooled in, uh, in theology, that, that women should leave themselves to just vocal prayer. And so uh, she's going against the current right here. And so we can really um, just really honor that, that she brought that out and, and is really making prayer accessible to everybody, and this universal call to holiness. She's already trying to emphasize that, you know, we all are being called by God to a deep relationship, and this friendship and relationship is so important. Well, and a couple of themes you've already touched on, and I want to make sure we emphasize. We try to touch on these, actually, I think every week, but they're so important, and it bears uh, repeating. Her discovery of the interior life, that prayer was not 
uh, simply her external activity. It wasn't just the vocal. She was being drawn into a much deeper experience of the Lord. Uh, and, and she received initially some bad counsel uh, with regard to that. We'll talk about that. Uh, and later, with the benefit of some uh, more insightful spiritual direction, she was able to work through that. So the discovery of the interior life and the deeper uh, levels of prayer that she was being called to, but also the recognition that someone like Teresa, a very vivacious, a very enthusiastic, a very energetic personality mm-hmm. in her own right, and someone whose gifts the Lord chose to use in a very effective way by one, uh, initiating the reform of the Carmelite Order, and two, founding a series of uh, convents across Spain. Uh, she led a very busy life. This was not a woman who spent you know, hours in the kitchen or uh, hours uh, uh, even just in the chapel, though she certainly did, but she, she traveled a great deal. She took on a great deal of responsibility. She dealt with the political environment of the time. She dealt with the economic challenges of, right. of trying to found these uh, various uh, uh, convents. So uh, this, uh, by any right, this woman in modern society would be the CEO of a major corporation. Absolutely. Just think what she would do if she had the Internet and email. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Mark? She has a lot of letters. Yes. You have a caller. Well, You've great, got Mary you. from Lake Charles on the line. Well, hi, Mary. How are you? Hi. I am doing well, and I am so glad to hear our Cormelite up on Radio Maria because I, too, am a Cormelite. Well, great. We're, we're gr- glad to hear from you, Mary. Do you have a question or a comment? Actually, I have a comment with y'all talking about Mother Trace's um, comments on prayer. Um, one of the things that we just uh, studied about in our Carmelite group here, and it really was profound for me, was when she made the statement that my business is prayer. Yes, that is good. Yeah, and... Um, I don't know, maybe if y'all can kind of expound on that, what do y'all think about it? Or, um, But to me, you know, for Carmelite, our business is prayer. So, And that's all I have to say. Thank y'all. Mary, thank you for the call and thank you for the comment. I, I couldn't agree more. Francis, uh, our business is prayer in Carmel, isn't it? Yes, it is. That's, um, that's what we take. We want to know God so that he may be known. And wherever we're at, in whatever circumstances, our work world, our families, uh, we're reflecting that prayer that we've had with God. So, yes, our main thing is prayer, and our actions should stem and be the fruit of that prayer. So that's a very good point. When we talk about the business that um, Teresa was doing, uh, we're talking on the worldly sense of of all the uh, things that she had to do as far as buying the homes or the houses for the convents or the foundations and all the monetary transactions she had to deal. I mean, it's kind of a paradox that she's uh, founding a, an order in which uh, the contemplative spirit was so strong, and yet she's not getting to exercise it in, in exterior silence. But we know that she took prayer um, wherever she was at and brought the Lord with her. She always tried to be recollected with Christ. Um, and I think that because she had such a deep and profound prayer life, she was able to do all these things that she was doing. So that's a beautiful comment, Mary. Yes, and I want to pick up on a quote that, uh, of course, everybody in Carmel is very familiar with. I know Mary will, will be familiar with this as well. Uh, it is from Teresa Davila, and it goes to the very heart of this issue uh, of 
Well, our work is prayer. We carry prayer wherever we are. We said on a number of occasions in previous weeks, pray without ceasing, Paul's admonition to us, pray without ceasing. Um, Here's Teresa's perspective on being lifted up into those higher levels of both uh, deep prayer and continuous prayer. She says, for mental prayer, in my opinion, is nothing else than an intimate sharing between friends. It means taking time frequently to be alone with him who we know loves us. So for her, and ironic that uh, our show, uh, Francis, is called Carmelite Conversations, uh, in all seriousness, we drew that from our Mother Teresa. That's right. A prayer is nothing but a conversation. So often I think we tend to put a prayer in a formal sense or we feel that there's a right way or there's a method or if I could just figure out the right book to read or the right sequence. These things are important. I don't want to minimize the need to study various forms of prayer and to engage in, in the use of texts in prayer. We'll talk about this. But, but let's peel away all of that uh, perhaps distraction and confusion for just a moment and get down to brass tacks about relationship. Prayer is a relationship. Absolutely. And relationships are based on conversation. I, I say this uh, often when people will ask me about you know, my, my particular approach to prayer, and of course I'll use this quote, and I'll say, you know, I have great uh, affection for my spouse. I don't necessarily have to think about how to plan my next conversation with my spouse. It just seems to happen. Yeah, that if would we, be trouble if you did. <laughs> if we can find the time to be alone and be together, uh, conversation is a very natural thing. Okay. And this is what the Lord is drawing us into, isn't it? It's a conversation about intimate details of our relationship with one another, uh, and and it doesn't require necessarily, there is certainly preparation and schooling around it, but it doesn't necessarily require that I prepare to engage in conversation with the one who I know loves me. Right, and then she also says that uh, you don't have to speak a lot. She just wants you to love a lot. So doesn't that say a lot? Because when you think about a spousal relationship, you can be in their presence and have a very intimate time with them just because you're in the presence of each other. This is part of the uh, the uniqueness of um, this challenge that, that Paul levels against us, Cease, pray, pray without ceasing. Uh, and, and so many people hear that. We say that in Carmel all the time, and we're going to spend, obviously, a great deal of time talking about that over the uh, series of these programs. Um, and, and people are sometimes taken aback by it, like they're taken aback by a Christ's admonition, which we talked about last week, uh, be perfect as, mu- as your Heavenly Father is perfect. These seem like unreachable uh, goals and objectives. Pray without ceasing. Well, um, uh, Francis, you and I were talking about this a few days ago, and I related If you're in intimate relationship with somebody, obviously there are moments where you have open, objective uh, dialogue and conversation. But even if I happen to be away from the one I love, my heart doesn't stop uh, reflecting. My mind oftentimes won't stop reflecting on that individual. But certainly my heart is always in a continuous state of affection. I have feeling, I have emotion towards the individual, towards the one who I know loves me and who I love. It's not something I necessarily have to bring up into my mind. I'm in a constant state of love. This is the sort of uh, relationship that the Lord wants us to establish with Him. He wants us to be in a constant state of love and awareness, and such that we would never think of doing anything that would offend the Lord. We wouldn't engage in a, a contentious dialogue, or we wouldn't, uh, uh, you know, find ourselves in situations that are that are uh, inappropriate or would be uh, uncomfortable for us if we knew the Lord were there. 
And, and this is the sort of idea around unceasing prayer. It's deeper than that, but I, I'm giving you the suggestion that um, it starts with this idea of a conversation. It leads to a relationship. It's from the heart. It's not the mind and the mouth exclusively. And it is something that I can literally carry throughout the course of my entire day, isn't it? And wherever you're at, Timbuktu or, you know, here in Ohio where the station is at. <laughs> you know, I just love that she has that definition of prayer, um, that uh, it's nothing else than an intimate sharing between friends, you know, that we, we were talking about. But taking time frequently to be alone with him, if we want a quality relationship, we need to spend time with that person and really engaging. So it's the perception of our attentiveness that is very important here. So we need to be attentive to God in our prayer. Like Teresa said, know who you're talking to. Know who we are and know who we're talking to. And then what it is that we're trying to say. And then, of course, be opening to hear because conversation is not one-sided. Well, and isn't that what conversation with that one that we love in the material sense of the word uh, really leads to. It's a continual uh, revelation both of who we are and who that other person is. This is how a relationship grows over time, and it never grows without trial and struggle, does it? Exactly. Uh, if it's not founded on something deeper, which is occasionally a trial and struggle, then uh, it doesn't reach that depth, that intimacy, that, uh, that uh, dependence uh, on each other, which is so important. Well, something else uh, here that I just love about Teresa is that she simplified things, and isn't that great? I mean, we have all these steps and techniques that you can read about in different books, but look how simple she says this is. So you don't have to be an, a theologian to be able to pray, and it, you can't use that as an excuse either. <laughs> but I love that she makes it simple and that she makes it so doable, and it's so relative to the experiences of our everyday life. I think that is so important. Yeah, in fact, she tells, uh, in many instances, she relates uh, her lack of preparation, her lack of schooling, what she contends is her lack of schooling uh, with regard to these issues. Of course, we know the Holy Spirit infused uh, great understanding in Teresa, great sensitivity, great uh, perception of the human experience. Yes, uh, so people that, look back at her as being a great psychologist yes, before exactly. that field ever came into being. Exactly, uh, her, uh, her partner, of course, in the Reform St. John of the Cross, who we'll be talking about in a number of weeks, uh, did have that education. He was deeply schooled in philosophy. Uh, as much as it was available, he had schooled himself in, in psycho uh, psychological studies, and certainly he was a theologian. And so he was able to bring all of that experience to prayer. But Teresa, uh, as I said earlier, speaks for the common person. She, she lived the very common life in the context of uh, schooling and education. She was uh, she was certainly well read. She she grew up in in um, well to do circumstances, so she wasn't uh, without uh, educational experiences. But but she would contend uh, she did not approach it as a theologian. I, I want to cover a few of the details just quickly of her early life. And and um, before we take the break, I do want to remind uh, our listeners that you are listening to Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. And if you do have questions or comments, you'd like to be part of the uh, conversation, uh, please feel free to call us at 1-866-333-6279. In the minute or so that we have before the break, Francis, I just want to cover a few of the early details because I think it's important. We certainly talked about uh, uh, what Teresa has to teach us about prayer 
Uh, but I want to ground that in a little bit of the background on who this woman was. Uh, and this will sound like somewhat of a biographical sketch. We'll go through some of the details here quickly. St. Teresa was born in Avila, Spain, May 20, uh, I'm sorry, March 28, 1515. She died in Alba, Spain on October 4, 1582. In 1528, when Teresa was only 15 years old, her mother died, and leaving behind 10 children. What's significant about this event in her life, and this goes back to the a program, of course, that we covered last week, Francis, the importance of the Blessed Mother in our life. And at this point, Teresa tells us in her life, she chose the Blessed Mother as her mother. From that point forward, she decided that the Blessed Mother would become her intimate uh, relationship from, from a paternal perspective, from, a, from a, a nurturing perspective. And she turned to the Blessed Mother in that point in her life. Yes, she did. And, you know, she's not the only one that did that. Um, we can remember that John Paul II, uh, when his father died, um, or the death of his mother, sorry, um, that his father suggested he take Mary as his mother. And um, so we have a current model of that. And, of course, we also have to put in a plug that we know that Pope John Paul II was a third-order Carmelite. He He wore the brown scapular and everything. He had great devotion to the Carmelite. One other quick biographical uh, item, and then we'll move to the break. Uh, when she was only seven years old, she and her younger brother, this is a great story, Rodrigo, uh, knowing, having a deep faith even then, and knowing that martyrdom was an instant, at least believing that it was an instant route to heaven, they made the decision uh, to walk into Moorish territory uh, so that they could be beheaded, they could be killed, and they knew that their souls would fly immediately to Christ. And this was their plan. Talk about boldness. <laughs> So they started out one afternoon to uh, cross over into Moorish uh, territory, and thankfully for ourselves and for the church, uh, they were stopped along the way by their uncle, who uh, quickly whisked them back to the safety of uh, their their side of the the, uh, city. But uh, it's a great story. It does tell us a little bit about this woman, who we're going to explore in more detail after the break. Uh, Please rejoin us in about five minutes. Thank you.
welcome back, everybody. Well, Francis, just before the break, we were talking a little bit about uh, some of uh, Teresa's early experiences, early childhood experiences, just to pick up on that quickly. Uh, her father, of course, recognizing this bold nature in her, decided uh, she needed some prudent guidance, and he sent her to live with the Augustinian nuns in Santa Maria de Gracia in 1531. Uh, she soon began to develop the desire for a vocation uh, while living with the sisters, and she decided to run away from home uh, and persuaded her brother to uh, go with her to receive the religious habit. In 1535, she entered the Carmelite Monastery of the Incarnation at Avila, where she had a friend, Juan Suarez, and her father resigned himself, though originally against it, he eventually resigned himself to this inevitable decision and and, uh, uh, vocation on the part of his daughter. Shortly after her profession, she became seriously ill. She uh, did not respond to medical treatment, and at last resort, her father took her to Besetas, a small village, I'm hoping that I'm saying that correctly, uh, to seek help from a famous uh, woman healer there. Uh, she was well-known throughout Castile. Uh, unfortunately, Teresa's health did not improve. This becomes a consistent theme for Teresa throughout her life, doesn't it, Francis? The challenge of physical pain and illness. Anybody who's having physical pain should read Teresa because they will be helped by all the things that she's gone through and how uh, she transforms that. um, Not she transforms it, but she's being transformed through this pain and how she identifies with Christ and in his passion. And this... Uh, idea. I mean, physical pain, certainly we can all relate. We understand. We've all dealt with that. For Teresa, initially, the challenge, I think, if you, if you draw this out of her writings, especially her life, is the contradiction. The idea, now she doesn't lament this. She doesn't openly say it, but you can well imagine, here I am, Lord, serving you. I'm prayerful. Uh, I'm seeking you in, in the uh, events of my life. I've given you my life. And yet I have all of this suffering. She wasn't unfamiliar, of course, with the sufferings of Christ, and she knew well uh, the history of many of the saints that had preceded her. But uh, I think all of us experience, especially if we've begun that uh, a more serious walk with the Lord, and then we are challenged with physical trials, especially as in her case, they're so consistent, so pervasive. We're led to that mental contradiction of, of our circumstances, which is really, in many ways, the most difficult thing, isn't it? That's what challenges our faith. Absolutely, and, and I have to tell this story about there's one time where she fell into a coma, and they actually thought she died, and they put wax on her eyes. I mean, that's how dead they thought she was, and her grave had already been dug. And I think, if I'm remembering correctly, they already did her funeral mass, um, and but she's not dead. <laughs> she comes back and uh, she's paralyzed, and she does learn to walk or she crawls, uh, um, and it's just so happy to be alive and just crawling. And she's got three years of all of this, and so what an incredible situation! And yet she is going to persevere here, and, and we can be encouraged with this that you know she kept resorting to hope and faith and beseeching St. Joseph to come to her aid, and she does overcome this. Yeah, uh, Teresa had a great devotion to St. Joseph. In fact, she remarks how uh, she believed that she never prayed to St. Joseph for something that he either did not uh, ultimately uh, provide her or uh, something better than what she actually asked 
for. When she uh, founded her first convent, Mark, um, she was told that St. Joseph would watch one door and our Blessed Mother the other, and that St. Joseph would see to all of her needs, and he was the protector of the order. So um, she, she's wonderful. About well, and I want to emphasize this. Uh, many of you may know that we are in the middle of a novena to St. Joseph. Of course, the celebration will be on the 19th of March, St. Joseph, husband of Mary, uh, that uh, novena actually began on the 10th, uh, though if you haven't started it and you're encouraged by uh, this revelation this evening, certainly you can go back and read the last few days of the novena, and, and I would encourage people to do that. I would strongly encourage people, especially you fathers and husbands out there, uh, if you're not familiar, begin to develop a relationship to St. Joseph. Uh, St. Teresa certainly had great devotion to him. This is actually taken a brief quote from her autobiography. Those persons who give themselves to prayer should, in a special manner, always have great devotion to St. Joseph. For I know not how anyone can think of the Queen of Angels during the time that she suffered so much with the infant Jesus without giving thanks to St. Joseph for the assistance he rendered to both of them. He who cannot find anyone to teach him how to pray, let him take this glorious saint for his guide, and he will not lose his way. St. Joseph is a powerful patron for, obviously, the Church, for Carmel. He's very important to us in Carmel. We celebrate his feast on the 19th. And needless to say, because we find no utterance of Joseph in the Gospels, uh, we know that Joseph is the great patron of interior souls and the great patron of silence in prayer. He simply accepted, in the way that we talked about with Mary last week, Francis, uh, Mary pondered all these things in her heart. Joseph was the great patron of obedience. He understood what the Lord wanted him to do. He simply picked up his staff and he moved. He went uh, from Nazareth to Bethlehem, from Bethlehem back to Nazareth, and then uh, off into Egypt, and from Egypt back into Nazareth. So Joseph, uh, as the patron and protector of the Holy Family today, the patron and protector of the Holy Catholic Church, is a great teacher of interior prayer. And St. Teresa picked up on that and drew great strength from it. Yes, she did. Well, uh, after her unfortunate uh, circumstances, the physical circumstances and the uh, inability uh, to find uh, uh, cons uh, consolation and healing, uh, she went to live with her uncle, and at this time she picked up a book called The Third Spiritual Alphabet by Francis of Osuna, who was actually a Franciscan and was also a great teacher in prayer. And this is where Teresa really began to deepen her understanding and it was from uh, Desuna that she began to realize that she could have this interior life in prayer. Prayer wasn't simply the external recitation uh, of, um, of the vocal prayers, that there was something deeper that was available to her. There was this idea of recollection. Uh, she says, in fact, I did not know, she said, how to proceed in prayer or how to become recollected. And so I took much pleasure in this book and decided to follow that path with all my strength. She doesn't waste any time. Once Teresa finds that she's got an opportunity uh, to advance in her relationship with Jesus Christ through the readings of Desuna, she moves out very quickly and takes advantage of it, doesn't she? Yes, she does, but Mark, I'm going to nail you on a term there, that recollection. Can you expound upon that? Because not all of our listeners are familiar with the Carmelite terminology or terminology in the the spiritual life of prayer. So recollection, what is that? Yeah, recollection is, is a very important aspect of our, of our Christian walk. In fact, we all need to become familiar with it. It's the idea of going to the interior, of listening to that interior voice, 
of working to close off those external pieces. You brought this up earlier when we talked about the interior life, uh, and, and we all have to come to this realization that ultimately prayer is an interior experience. It begins with the vocal, certainly. It moves through the mind, and, and what I referred to last week as the dialectic of prayer, where we're uh, in dialogue with the Lord. We speak, He speaks, we listen. This begins for a period of time, and then eventually we move into a deeper level of silence. We'll talk about that, Teresa will school us a little bit on that, certainly this evening, and as we continue in her text with the way of perfection. Uh, but it is recollecting the mind. It is as much, I would say, uh, dismissing the things that are unnecessary in our relationship with Jesus Christ as it is trying to do something. Uh, I prefer to think of it as, you know, so oftentimes we, we would maybe image it this way, but we're trying to paint our spiritual life our relationship with the Lord. We've got a blank canvas, we've got a a palette of various colors, and we're trying to paint those, while at the same time, the Lord is trying to sculpt something out of the person that we are. He's trying to get us to remove things. We're trying to paint this glorious picture that we have in our mind, an image that we have in our mind, and the Lord is tap, tap, tapping away, trying to remove, sometimes painfully, uh, those pieces of our character, of our personality, of our image that isn't consistent with our Lord's image, He's tapping on us and uh, with chisel and hammer to remove those. Recollection is about actively engaging in the acceptance of the chipping away of the noise in our life, of the, the busyness that you prayed about at the beginning of our show here, Francis, that we're trying to turn off both the objective uh, radio and the television and the, the, uh, the iPhone and all the rest of it that's, that's obviously distracting us, but it's more than that. It's those thoughts, uh, uh, th- those distractions in our life. Oh, I'm worried about my health. I'm worried about my business. I'm worried about, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, the, the health of my children. Or I aspire to something. I'm ambitious for something. I'm seeking something. If it's in a material nature, these things all become distractions, and they impede recollection, which is simplifying everything in our mind so that we're focused only on the Lord. And as... Uh, uh, Deacon Baldwin said with us a couple of weeks ago, every emotion, every passion, ultimately, in, in this idea of recollection, when it's perfect, is centered on the Lord. We experience nothing in the context of fear, joy, ambition, desire, nothing that isn't ultimately leading us to the Lord. That's a longer explanation than you were hoping for. <laughs> that was a long one, but it was good. <laughs> I'm glad that's going to be archived, so we might be able to hear that again. Yeah. Maybe, maybe we'll have a caller call in and say, what did Mark just say? <laughs> well, I'm going to simplify it, Mark. I'm thinking, well, you know, if you can just get set that stuff aside in one easy way, you just focus on Jesus within. Focus on Jesus within, and if you're doing that, then all that other stuff falls away. It's so simple. Yeah, because the Lord is in us, isn't he? he we is. are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are the temple of the Lord. Um, this is, uh, again, we've, we've hit on this theme before, the idea that we've lost, uh, unfortunately, somewhat this reverence and understanding of the indwelling presence of the Trinity within us. You know, we've all heard this if we've been schooled in the Catholic faith for any period of time. We've heard it throughout the, the years of our catechesis. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. The, the, the Trinity dwells within us. But do we wrestle with that idea? Do we know what that means? Do we experience that in our prayer life? And again, I'll emphasize, there's certainly nothing wrong with vocal prayer. Teresa of Avila strongly advocates uh, the efficacy, the, the, the benefit of vocal prayer, and in fact says that if a sister reflectively and, and 
deeply praise the Our Father, she can reach the highest levels of contemplation. And she's not saying that that sister would be limited to vocal prayer. What she's saying is, take the depth of the, the prayer, the Our Father, the prayer that was given to us by our Lord, and go deeply into that prayer, quietly, thinking, chewing over every word. I, I said to someone earlier today, we chew on the Word of God, and it literally begins to affect us in the spirit, like a good glass of wine affects yeah. our mind. Right? Savor the taste. Yeah, we saturate our mind with the, with the words, we saturate our mind with the conversation with Jesus Christ, and it begins to change us. And what we also have to learn, I think, and what's important that Teresa teaches us, this isn't up to us. We have to predispose ourselves. We have to engage. But we, not, we need not think that we're painting that canvas. Because at the time that we're painting that canvas, the Lord is slowly and deliberately and cautiously chipping away at all of the, uh, the, the rock and the crustacean that we've built up in our experience as human beings, both from original sin, uh, our highs, our lows, our, our uh, challenges throughout life. We've built up this, this wall, if you will, that the Lord has to slowly chip through and get back to the center of, because he's there. He's there in the center if we'll go find him there. Right, and she, Teresa tells us that, you know, if you're having a rough time, then, you know, put yourself into the mystery of the passion and think of Christ and his suffering and identify with him and share your suffering with him. Or if you're feeling joyful, then, you know, think about Christ in a very joyful moment. And then some other things that she says is, you know, use a book to help you get your focus. And she never started prayer without a book uh, as far as productive prayer. And then she says maybe use a statue, which there was a statue that was uh, pivotal uh, at her moment of big conversion. She says use pictures. She would carry pictures with you. Um, Look at an empty chair and picture Jesus there, but again, uh, preferably, you know, picture Jesus within Right. You know, in with you. I just, I have to tell you this, Mark. When I first learned about Teresa Vava, what I thought was so outstanding about her, and I'd like you to share what you think is so outstanding for you, um, I think what was so outstanding is that here was a person who prayed, but who confirmed that you could experience God in this life. You could experience it. And she. In her book, The Interior Castle, she goes through all these stages of prayers, the trials and tribulations, the graces, the blessings, and she, she describes them and, and from her own experience or from those of, of people who shared them with her. So she would never share anything she wasn't certain about. And she actually tells us that, you know, these things can happen. And this experience, this, um, this, with certitude, this experience of God, is not even at the pivotal part of the prayer journey. It, it was kind of there in the fourth and fifth mansion in the middle, and, and I know we'll we'll talk about the mansion sometime in the future, but I just thought this was so amazing, because who tells us this? Yeah, the, the words that resonate with me, and I actually heard them first from John Paul II, but he then quickly went to Teresa and, and advocated. Uh, actually, there were a series of saints. He advocated John of the Cross, Francis de Sales, Catherine of Siena, all of these as teachers of the interior life and ways to, to deepen our prayer life. But what he said that struck me, and I remember reading this, actually, in prayer, progress is possible. And I thought, what does he mean, progress is possible? What is he talking about? I thought at that stage of my life and my maturity with the Lord, 
Well, you pray, and the Lord intervenes in the events of your life, and eventually you grow old and you die, and you go and spend time with Him. You spend eternity with Him. And John Paul, too, was saying progress is possible. And it led me to question, what does he mean by progress? And I want to challenge our listeners at this point, uh, as I have challenged myself. I wouldn't do anything I haven't done to myself. If you're sitting out there and you're thinking, well, my prayer life is pretty much the way it was 10 years ago, or my experience of the Lord, the intimacy that you talk about with regard to an experience of the Lord, it hasn't really significantly changed in the last many years. Or maybe it's changed, but, but it's gotten off course. Um, mm. Then I want, to, I want to encourage you to seek out some counsel from Teresa of Avila. I want to encourage you uh, to reach out to this saint who speaks to the common person in a way uh, that I think is very approachable, that provides very good counsel, and that helps us understand progress in prayer is possible. We should be moving through stages. We should be moving toward an intimacy that ultimately, and I'm going to use uh, some Carmelite, but certainly not unique to the Carmelite order, terminology in prayer, we should be moving through these phases away from the purgation of our prayer life where we struggle with the reality of who we are and the sins that we've committed, through illumination where we come to understand in a much deeper way the true glory of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and unfortunately, uh, in many cases, the true weakness of ourselves as broken human beings, subject to original sin through concupiscence, and what we've done with our weakness throughout the course of our life. That's the illuminative stage, and ultimately to union. Union is nothing more than the union of our will in a perfect way with that of our Heavenly Father. And it manifests itself in our thinking, in our actions, in our speech, uh, in everything in our life. And we know people like this, don't we? We see them in their writings, we hear them in their speeches and so forth. They're few and far between, but there are saints out there even today, and certainly the Church is rich in saints uh, through the writings, through, in in some cases, uh, tapes and other forms of communication to help us understand Progress in prayer is possible for everyone. For everyone, you don't need to leave be, uh, live behind the walls of a, of a monastery or a convent. In fact, uh, the charism, and it's the reason that we're uh, as adamant as we are about carrying this message of Carmel out to a larger audience. The message of Carmel says your sanctification, your arrival at union, is begun in prayer and manifests itself in works. We are sanctified through our works. But the works must begin with prayer. Uh, I remember teaching a few weeks ago in a church, and I said this, and I, I got a very favorable response from a number of the folks in the organization, uh, in, in the audience, rather. I, I said, um, as we look out across our world and we see all of the challenges and the trials that people are dealing with, um, we need to recognize as Christians we are called to respond to that need. The gospel from today, uh, today's gospel reading, tells us we are to respond to the needs of the hungry, the needs of the unsheltered, the needs of the naked. We are to reach out to humanity. But that reaching out is not from us. It's from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and it has to begin there. We move from contemplative prayer into apostolate, into action. And through those actions, with the Lord working through us, we sanctify ourselves, and we give ourselves the opportunity to make progress in prayer and to achieve union with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. As you said, Francis, in this life, Heaven doesn't have to wait. Yes, we can experience heaven on earth. Are you with me, audience? I hope so. Let's go for it. This is Lent. This is the perfect time to really work on deepening our prayer life. We've got to be responding positively to the Lord. And we know 
that, you know, Teresa was so excited when she started these foundations. She was so excited when she was able to place Jesus in the tabernacle and they had that first Mass. She was so excited that Jesus was in another place where he could be loved and adored. And here we are in our day and age, some churches are closing. And, you know, it really strikes the hearts of, of a lot of people because we understand the importance of Jesus in the Eucharist. And the other thing is that Teresa is amplifying the mercy of God and how God is teaching us and that he is our strength and he will work through us. And her whole book about how these foundations were uh, formed, that it was the work of the Lord, that he provided for everything. I mean, she had obstacles. She had a whole town, the mayor, the politicians, everybody in an uproar over a house. And she's like, how could a little poor house of 12 little women bring cause such a consternation, you know? It was amazing. But she was persecuted out the wazoo, and yet that house was formed and um, all will be well. <laughs> well, we talked uh, earlier about the uh, the reform of the Carmelite Order, which, of course, Teresa led, and, and we are the beneficiaries of that uh, effort on her part. I want to go back and pick up on this one theme in her prayer life, though, that I think is very important. Uh, first of all, Teresa became a little bit uh, confused. She admits this early on in her prayer life. When she began to realize her own wretchedness, as she describes it, as we will all face at some point as we begin to look at ourselves more deeply. And as we begin to know God better, because I think as we know God better, we see who He is and who we are not. Right, and we begin to understand the difference between what He has always planned for us and maybe where we've fallen short of that. And it's okay. It's the human experience. Right, yeah. We shouldn't become discouraged. Unfortunately, Teresa did. She became discouraged to the point where she literally stopped praying for a year. Yeah. Uh, she later realized that this was a temptation from the devil. And, of course, uh, uh, we might as well lay it out right now that if you begin to deepen your prayer life, if you're beginning a prayer life or you're uh, fairly mature and you're taking that now to the next level, expect to be attacked, expect to experience those contradictions, expect to experience some confusion in your prayer life. Or dryness. Yeah. Or, or boredom. Yeah. All but of those. And, and Teresa experienced them all. And she worked her way through them, um, even the, the uh, focusing on herself for those 18 years where she had some, uh, some confusion about uh, how deep her prayer life should be as opposed to some of her other responsibilities. She says she used to like to talk about prayer, uh, but really preferred to talk, uh, ultimately preferred to talk to people in the parlor where she spent, unfortunately, a, a large part of her time in the uh, 18 years between her uh, 21st year and her 39th year where she began her conversion, she began her reform. I, I don't want to spend too much time on the specifics of that because we're going to cover that again when we go through uh, her uh, way of perfection. We're going to talk about that. What I do want to emphasize in the last few minutes that we have here, if you hear about Teresa, and we encourage you, please explore her life. You'll hear about how she struggled with prayer early on. You should take consolation from that. You'll hear about how she delayed her prayer for a number of years. You should take consolation in that, though don't model it, because that's not the piece she's telling us to model. Yeah, she says, keep praying no matter what. Keep exactly. praying. Do not stop praying. Have that perseverance regardless of the trials. But we should take great consolation in this as well. Teresa traveled a path in prayer and in her union with the Lord, which she achieved to the highest levels, that was far different, far more... Uh, uh, bi-directional, if you will, than perhaps St. John of the Crosses, whose uh, path we'll learn later was more directly up the Mount of, uh, uh, of Carmel or the ascent of Mount Carmel. Yeah, she was in the details, Mark. Yeah, <laughs> she, went, she went back and forth a little bit. We should draw great consolation from that, because what it tells us is that the Lord used Teresa 
to carve the path for those of us, and I would include myself among them, who wandered for a while and have now only begun to find their way back to the path. Uh, here I am in my early 50s and, and just finding my way back to the path. Uh, and, and I take great consolation in knowing Teresa's moved the stones out of the way along that path, so I won't have so many things to trip over. Yeah, let's count on her to keep doing that for all of us. Well, I, I see we're coming to the end of our hour here, and I want to express the appreciation to our listening audience, especially for the call that we've had uh, and the input that we, Francis and I, have received in the uh, last few weeks. Uh, it is one of the reasons, in fact, that we're going to pick up next week with the way of perfection. We were actually going to move into St. John of the Cross, but we've gotten a lot of feedback that people would like us to continue to go deeper into the character and personality of our great saints uh, before moving on and draw from the great uh, schooling and, and teaching that they have to share with us on prayer. So we're going to do that. And I want to thank Pat from the U.K. for listening in last week. And I hope you are smiling again, Pat, if you're listening tonight. And thank you for your encouragement. Well, as we close, I want to remind you, you've been listening to Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. And we're going to go out with a brief prayer by our Mother Teresa of Avila. Let nothing disturb you. Nothing frighten you. All things are passing. God never changes. Patience obtains everything. And wanting him who possesses God, God alone suffices. God bless you all, and thank you for listening.